Hey, what's going on, good people? This is Gardner Douglas, and I am your Oyster Ninja. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's been a little bit since the last time I got on here, and uh, I think I need to apologize for the listeners. But I also had to apologize to my family, because... If it's one thing I learned about this podcast is it is time consuming or it can be time consuming. I think I'm learning now and getting a little better at it. So, you know, I think I'm going to make this a bi-weekly podcast. Um, and if something falls in on the off week, you know, it happens. But I think uh, I, I can stick to the bi-weekly consistency. So, that's the plan. That's my apology. Hope you accept it. Hope you keep listening. And the good news is we got some good shows ahead. Um, but this episode, let me tell you. Groundbreaking. Astronomical. I don't know. A whole lot of big words, but it's it's a great show. So, this week I'm talking to Miss Isabella Macbeth Kane. Um, hands down, one of the best shockers out there. Um, right now, you know, right in the top three. I think she's number two. Um, she's going to tell you all about her and her sharking career, you know, in this podcast. Uh, I met Gator uh, two years ago down at the Nationals, uh, National Orchestra Competition. And um, she was. She was good competition. Uh, when I think of Oyster Ambassadors, you know, Gator comes to mind. And that's why, you know, I had to get her on here so she could tell you her story. And, you know, her story cannot be left out. Seriously. Um, she really defines what an Oyster Shucker should be. And it's breaking down more than one barrier in the process of climbing and taking the title of the nation's top shucker so you know i hope you guys enjoy and uh get something out of this episode real um it's um it's groundbreaking so my name is isabella mcbeth the holy city oyster maven here in charleston south carolina in the shucking world people know me as gator uh it's the nickname i picked up in the army just kind of stuck with me uh and um I've been chucking since I started chucking when I was about five years old, uh, but got into it professionally after college uh, in my early 20s, and I'm now currently the number two trucker in the United States. How did you say you got the name Gator? My days in the Army. I was always seen as kind of a laid-back, chill guy, and then um, when something needed to happen, I would, like, snap to action, and they thought it was like a Gator snapping out of the water, you know, kind of unseen. You know, no signs. So, uh, being from the low country, it kind of just ended up sticking with me. Get the heck out of here. I didn't even know you was in the Army. I'm in the Army. <laughs> yeah, 11 Bravo. said, uh, what, what's the Oyster Maven? Uh, the Holy City Oyster Maven is the, uh, um, kind of brand I'm building for myself here in the city, uh, doing kind of, uh, corporate events, um, oyster education, uh, pairings. Uh, teaching people to shark and uh, working with other restaurants to, to help bring their level of service as well up to a just higher standard across the board. Uh, Maven, it would be a, a, a Yiddish word for guru, 
I just didn't want to use Guru because that was a little bit overused. So could you go into a little detail of your your history? You was telling me a little bit about uh, where you're from and your family's history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my family came to Charleston, South Carolina, back in the colonial period in 1672. Um, they're from Vitra, which is in Brittany in France. And uh, a little later on, the, the next big uh, migration of my family were Scots that came in uh, 1740 um, from Aberdeenshire. Uh, they had lost at the Battle of Culloden, um, rebelling against the, uh, the German houses in support of Stuart. So pretty much uh, my earliest ancestors here were 1600s, and my latest uh, ancestors who arrived were still predating the American Revolution. Um, but, uh, yeah, I grew up in... In Charleston, I uh, learned to sail at a young age, ballroom dance, um, growing up in the family rice plantation, learning to, to hunt, and and all. Ultimately, I, I got into oysters uh, because uh, oyster roasts were just such a big um, social gathering. Uh, people, families come around a bunch of oysters and eat them and socialize and um, celebrate special events. And um, I ultimately just fell in love with them. And uh, my mom would send me oysters to boarding school or to college, wherever I happened to be in the world. And right up after um, after college in '09, I couldn't find a job. So my uncle opened a raw bar, um, not specifically for me, but he happened to be opening one at the time. Called me in his office and said, hey, uh, here's the layout plan. Um, I'm going to do this big thing. Uh, big raw bar is going to be your main feature, like, place Hog Island out in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, you're great at talking to people. You know a lot about the history here. Why don't you get up there and shove some oysters like you know how to do? And I was shocked in my first two weeks at how hard working a raw bar and shucking raw oysters for people could actually be. Really, really wore me out. It took some time to get used to that. So that's just a little bit about my history, um, my family, and, uh, you know, how I kind of got into shucking oysters. Uh, and who did you say taught you how to shuck oysters? Oh, yes. Uh, my mother. Uh, when I was about five, I wandered up to a, an oyster, um, to a table at an oyster roast. Barely even reached up there and I started, uh, grabbing the oysters that were already kind of steamed partially open and trying to pull them apart with my hands. And my mother, uh, she got worried I was going to hurt myself like any mother would and she stopped me and said, if you want to do this, you have to do it right. Gave me gloves and a knife and tried to teach me how to pop them open and and I was very cavalier about it and just wouldn't listen to my mom's stubbornness and uh, the gentleman across the table, Mr. Cato, uh, he lost one of his fingers in a um, woodshop accident. He he liked to work on furniture and uh, he leaned over and showed me his hand with a little bit of his finger missing. He said, "I lost my uh, finger doing exactly what you're doing right there. You better listen to your mother." And I still kind of never did, but that always stuck with me. Um, so it was just my mom when I was about five, and uh, we always go to Oyster Roast, go back and forth. I, I'd say she's as good as, good as I am. Hey, Gator, so did, was your mom a master shocker? Uh, no, she, she wasn't. Uh, she studied accounting in, in college, ultimately opened up her own small business. Um, later uh, got rid of that and went to real estate, but... Uh, Last year at a family uh, oyster roast, she was right there teaching my niece and nephews how to properly shuck, even though I was sitting there a ranked shucker in the world, you know. She's um, <laughs> still getting in there 
and uh, mixing up with the best, you know, taking charge and, and correcting me uh, when I still mess up. But, um, so she is, she is talented with the knife, but, uh, no, she's never competed in any way. Mom Duke said, I'm just going to let you know, hey, I taught you this. <laughs> yes, uh, she she uh, she still lets me know that, and I admit it uh, freely, for sure. Um, I thank Mom a lot for that ability. So uh, what did you study in school? I started uh, at the Citadel, uh, where I studied history and education. After I left the Army, I quit the Citadel uh, before graduation. Just couldn't stand being in, in a military college when I wasn't going into the service uh, any further. And I moved to Europe, and I finished at Hotel School The Hague in Holland, uh, where I studied international hospitality management. Uh, minor in culinary arts, uh, so I had wine classes, I had cooking classes, I had uh, uh, business uh, hotel accounting, and it's, uh, it's kind of essentially culinary school mixed with uh, business school. That sounds real fancy. That was a lot of fun, I'll tell you that much. I had classes on, on drinking, uh, where we actually uh, threw back a few beverages during class, and <laughs> that was something I don't think I would have had experience in the U.S., so it was a lot of fun. Right, right. So where are you working at these days? Uh, today I am uh, currently working at Rappahannock Oyster Bar in Charleston, South Carolina, in the old cigar factory. I am the lead shucker and rural bar manager there. Um, so my responsibilities uh, fall under um, ordering all the oysters uh, for the week, uh, along with the other shellfish, uh, mussels and clams, bucket of oysters for, you know, the poor boys and and training our staff and just uh, maintaining high standards and, and looking into possible uh, new fun pairings with mignonettes and other things that we can uh, bring our guests to the raw bar. Cool, cool. So what are the challenges of, you know, running a raw bar? There's just the normal challenge of ordering, uh, but we're dealing with a live animal, and we don't want to don't want to over-order and have them sitting in the cooler too long, and then we don't want to under-order. So it's always a little bit of a challenge kind of playing that, that line to see, you know, what our business uh, flow is going to be. Um, but I feel like you'd have that with any uh, industry, especially in the food industry. Um, I think the unique challenge I face here in Charleston is, is finding shuckers. Uh, there aren't a lot of shuckers around. There's a lot of raw bars opening up every day and are here, and we're all fighting for talented individuals. Um, but we end up just finding someone that's, says, you know what, I'm going to give that a try. You know, I'm willing to try that and uh, trying to train them up properly on how to shuck an oyster. I'm always like, don't, they sit there next to me enough to me shuck five or six oysters to their one. I'm like, I've been doing this for years. Slow down, concentrate on the oyster, make sure you're shucking it uh, perfectly each time. I'll, I'll carry, you know, the extra weight of this because once you get that first one down, it's uh, slow as smooth, smooth as fast they'll start building up speed. And I was really proud to hear last week uh, a guy I've been working with for five months. He said, hey, Bella, I um, I found this uh, this little entrance here, this little this little side shot on the oyster, you know. Uh, these oysters are going right here. And, and it clicked in my mind that he was no longer an oyster opener, that he was a shucker. He started viewing these oysters as animals, talking about them that way. Um, started looking at different ways to deal with each one using different knives, different approaches, because um, they're all unique and they're all special. So we can't just treat them all the same. 
Um, so that's always, I think, the, the biggest struggle, but also at the same time the most rewarding part about being a lead checker, a raw bar manager. It's a good feeling when they, when they finally can, you know, connect and like, you know what, I, I think I know what I'm doing a little bit here now. Yeah, we've, we've all had those eye-opening, uh, moments and it's really fun, uh, when you're working with someone to see that light bulb go off, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I'm watching get it. Uh, I, I couldn't be proud of everyone I've had work underneath me that's gotten to that level. I know that you said that, you know, it's hard to find good shuckers or shuckers, period. Um, what's the oyster scene like in South Carolina? Uh, yeah, so our oyster scene here in South Carolina is very, very unique. Um, I think the, the world right now at historic levels is at 8% of what the oysters were. So we've lost some, um, most 90% of the world's native oysters. Um, a lot of that could be done, uh, due to like in New York Harbor and Chesapeake Bay over harvesting. Um, not thinking forward, just thinking this year, how much can we get out? Uh, pollution, industrialism. Um, but South Carolina never really had the culture of harvesting oysters to sell abroad or to, to bucket, you know, for, for soups or anything. We've always had this like five month oyster season, uh, you know, with the hour months, as people, uh, remember. Um, and we harvest really just for our own personal use and, and oyster roast. I didn't really see it in restaurants, and uh, it's a very agricultural coastal region here, so there's not a lot of big development on the water. And what we've been able to have is one of the last remaining wild native oyster populations that are kind of spread out. Um, and these things we're harvesting raw oysters is 90% of our, our yearly harvest, um, but they continually have fat float along, and they attach to these oyster banks, and uh, so the oysters continually are trying to uh, outgrow the others so that they can open up and filter more, uh, more minerals and and, uh, and algae and stuff that the oysters eat off of. So they get these long, slender blades. You can think of a wild forest growing up and, and trees trying to outgrow another tree so that they can get the sunlight and the nutrition. Um, and, uh, yeah, so these blades are... Um, Enter tidal, which means that they're going to spend a portion of their day underwater, and then when the tide goes out, they're going to come up above, and they're going to be uh, trying to hold the shell closed tight because um, uh, they're above the water now, and the shells are going to get hardened by the sun, and they just make this really unique uh, oyster. Um, but then again, it's not uh, it's not like other regions where shucking was seen as an industry, so I don't think that's really um, cross a lot of people's minds until recently, uh, as more and more people start coming here for tourism and moving here and we're consuming more and more of these oysters. We're harvesting a hundred, you know, thousand bushels of oysters, let's say, a year, and we're only putting back about 30,000. So we're definitely working a deficit right now, and it should be crucial for our restaurants to put the shells back, um, for things like the well-fleet fat and the Chesapeake Oyster Recovery Program to uh, kind of take up kind of an initiative here with DNR and, and really make sure that we retain this special uh, South Carolina oyster legacy that's very unique in, in the country. How long has the farm-raised oysters been, like, I guess, popular? Yeah, I like would say South Carolina uh, started seeing the farm-raised stuff. Uh, I think Frank Roberts, the Ladies Island Oyster, kind of 
I believe he was one of the ones to lead the charge. Uh, Clamor Days of uh, Papers Island. Uh, he does some farm racing. That all kind of started about eight years ago, ten at the most. We're now today seeing more and more farms far popping up where there have been news articles about it and people are arguing whether it's good for for um ecosystem or not and, and the economy. And I'm going to be honest, like these are Virginia species. An adult to me is about three years old. It was up to 50 gallons of water a day. You can't tell me a guy out there farming a million oysters, is, even though it might hurt your, your view of the landscape a little bit and his uh, bag system, however he's doing it, that that million oysters suffering 50 gallons of water a day per oyster is that in any way. I see it as a great uh, way to take the stress off our wild oysters. We can use those as more of a nice treat and uh, and move probably about 80% of our state consumption to these wonderful uh, farm-raised oysters that are coming directly from the fat of the wild oysters. So they they are just as, as in a decade just the descendants of the South Carolina oyster. So you're still getting that exact oyster, same flavor profiles, just a deeper cup, sometimes a little heavier milk uh, meat, I mean. Um, and, yeah, I just think it's a wonderful thing. But it's, it's been about 10 years, and it's, it's definitely starting to stick around now. That's great. So you really have experience with the wild oysters and farm-raised oysters. So what's your favorite style of shucking? <laughs> Growing up here in in, uh, in South Carolina, we are uh, we're hen shuckers. And, and I didn't know there was any other kind of shucking out there until I went up to Maryland uh, two years ago for the National Shucking Championship. And I got up there, and, and people asked me if, uh, how I shucked. And I, I told them I shucked through the back for the hens. And they, they uh, jokingly called me a butt shucker. But, um, you know, I started to get the idea that in the test peak, a lot of people are, go through the bill, the front there, uh, they're scabbers. And uh, I saw what they're doing. I'd seen these chest peak oysters, and they're a little bit more brittle than our hard wild oysters. And I was like, hey, show me this. How, how do you do that? And uh, a couple of guys up there showed me what was uh, being done. I bought a knife while I was there and started ordering uh, oysters from Sweet Jesus, Hollywood Oyster Company, to uh, the raw bar I was managing at the time and practicing going through the bill. And so I uh, perfected that, and that, that's really helped me out a lot working with Rat Bahannock because they're right out of Virginia, the Chesapeake Bay, and their oysters are very, very similar. Most of them need to be gone, uh, shut through the bill. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm a hen shucker. That's where I always fall back to. And um, but I don't limit myself, and I I try to learn every aspect of every oyster and and different knives, so I can uh, I can actually be a master shucker, and you know not just be you know kind of a one trick wonder. <laughs> so you would say in order for you to be a master shucker, you got to conquer seven, or or would you consider yourself already a master shucker? Um, I, I've been called a master shucker. I don't think I, I am there yet. There's a lot of knowledge and a lot of abilities, but I think like a true master, if you look at a master sommelier or a master chef has that, that I, I don't have, I am very skilled. I would say I'm about medium, <laughs> uh, like a mid-level uh, shucker. Um, but I am constantly trying to learn new techniques. I learn more about oysters. Uh, it's a constant uh, daily education. Um, so hopefully where I will be able to comfortably call myself a master shucker one day. In trying to be the master shucker, what's the mm-hmm. most 
interesting thing you've learned about oysters? Uh, for me, uh, it's the, it's the miroir. Um, I had wine studies in, in college at hotel school. And uh, when I first started working at Raw Bar at my uncle's place on Main Street downtown, I um, was opening oysters from all over the world, you know, the West Coast, uh, you know, the Northeast, Chesapeake Bay, uh, sometimes Europe. And I was shocked that they were so different than what the oysters were here that I knew growing up. And I started uh, trying to figure this out. And it was one day I was sitting there tasting them and noticing the different uh, flavor profiles, uh, just eating them naked. Um, and all of a sudden, that terroir, uh, the French theory of, um, you know, everything that happens to that seed, the vine, to the, you know, uh, the typography, uh, everything that affects uh, that grape all the way to you sipping it, what type of bottle they put it in, you know, how dark the bottle is, uh, shape of the glass, it's all going to affect the flavor. Um, and I was like, I wonder if oysters are affected this way. You know, like our salt, our, uh, we have a lot of cloth mud around here. Um, when the tide's out, uh, it, it can smell very pungent, like rotten eggs, um, in, in the, uh, the cloth mud in the marsh area. Um, but to me, that smells like home. Uh, but that would have a lot of flavor, uh, that would be going into the oysters. Uh, and I'm sure like up in Maryland or, Massachusetts or up in Canada, they had different soils, different rock uh, topography, and different minerals feeding into them. So I really started looking at that and, and uh, found out that I wasn't the only one looking at this, and a lot of others believed in miroir, which instead of terre being Latin for land, mer would be, you know, the French derivative of sea, so terre, uh, the miroir would, um, would really describe why the oysters change, even if you take the same species. Uh, and, and you grow it in different locations, it's going to change the flavor profile. Um, like if I brought Kumamoto's from the Pacific, and I believe Kumamoto's a Japanese strand, if I brought that here in South Carolina and grew it, it'd probably have a lot of similarities to the Kumamoto's over there, but I could see it as having a lot uh, higher salinity uh, and maybe a little bit of muskiness added into the cucumber flavors you, you get with it, just from our fluff mud and uh, topography here. So I think that's the most interesting and fun thing to always be looking at oysters uh, about for me. You've tried uh, a lot of different types of oysters. Do you have a favorite, or is your bias like you know hometown oysters? <laughs> uh, I think we're all biased to our, to our native oyster. You know, it's what we we fell in love with first, and uh, um, it will always be mom's cooking to us. You know, no one beats mom's cooking. Uh, but when I look outside of South Carolina. Uh, I fall very much for the La Maison Beausoleil. Most people just know it as the Beausoleil. Um, it's the perfect little cocktail oyster. It's got a wonderful size, uniformity to it. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Um, and uh, they box them up and ship them very nicely. You can tell the people growing them. I take a lot of care and effort to uh, uh, to present their oysters. Um, when I bite into it, it's uh, kind of crisp at first, but the meat opens up really nice and silky. Um, and I get these wonderful uh, kind of smoky oak flavors at the end, which if I was pairing, I would love to do that with with, uh, with like a multi-scotch or, or something. I'm sure that would be a wonderful pairing. 
So the Beausoleil would be my favorite outside of my home, home native oyster. When you pet, right. let's say you're pairing with scotch, do you eat the oyster first or do you drink first? I always do my oyster first. Uh, now, when I'm doing pairings or tastings, I, I never go over, let's say, six oysters. I don't want to um, – six different types of oysters. I don't want to overload my palate and, you know, what I'm able to comprehend. So I'll do like six or four, but I always get two oysters uh, of that variety. And you know, I hear a lot of people say do the first one naked and just suck it all straight back and and um, you'll be able to see the oyster that way. For me, I always take the first oyster uh, naked and I take my fork, and I fork the meat of that oyster out, and I start eating that. Um, and then I kind of mentally note the different flavors of that meat. Um, but mainly I'm trying to mentally note by taking the oyster out uh, the salinity level. And it's funny because I then pick up the oyster and I'll drink the liquor, that little liquid in the shell. And there are times when the oyster will come off a little sweet, but that liquor is really salty. And had I done them both together, it would have probably come off as a high-salinity oyster. But really, there's a lot more complexity there. Um, and if sometimes, if it shocks me enough, I'll use take the second oyster, and I'll do it all together and, and see how that plays out. But typically, by doing the meat first and the liquor, I have a good idea of what the flavor profiles are working with there so I can better pair um, my oysters. And like a lot of classic parents, if we're going to go with like a Chardonnay-based champagne or Chablis or Sauvignon Blanc, um, and I see a lot of people do that at my restaurant. Uh, big Shucker was talking about how he was a, a big uh, beer person, and, and, you know, you can do some heavy oysters with some lovely oyster stouts that uh, these craft breweries are doing. But for me, I'm, I'm very much of a... Um, a spirits person, and I always pair with gin or scotch. Scotch is a lovely pairing for me. Um, depending on where you are in Scotland, uh, you can get uh, real smokiness, which I feel like would go wonderful with the European flat, like the Ballon, uh, which has a very high salinity. It's got some cucumber flavor to it, some flint, heavy copper. Um, and then if I'm getting in a, a scotch that's on the islands or spray side up near the coast, that's got going to have a little hint of salinity to it. Um, so that works very well for oysters for me. Um, and then, you know, the gin, the aromatics that they put in the gin, uh, the gin or berries and and other aromatics that they use, I think would work wonderfully with, like, uh, Pacific varieties like Kumamoto. So it's all kind of whatever uh, spirits you like, you can always find wonderful pairings with oysters if you kind of um, – think outside the box and open your mind a little bit. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I definitely prefer scotch with my oysters. You just broke that way down. I'm trying to go get me a bottle of scotch now and a couple dozen of oysters. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you can have some wonderful pairings uh, with that. Okay, so we, we got your favorite oyster to eat. What's your favorite oyster to shuck? Or would it be would that be uh, your Carolina? Uh, the Carolina, I think I have a little bit more insight into it. It almost has this, on the hinge, this um, false hinge. Uh, the hinge comes out real far out of the back. And so a lot of people put their knife right in the beginning 
and then they shut, and they just break the back part off, but it was kind of like a false uh, hinge there, and you have to go in much deeper um, so you can get the oyster really sitting on that hinge, the knife in there. You're not poking through. You'll hold up the knife, and it looks like a lollipop with the oyster sitting thin. Um, then you uh, firmly but lightly, like you're told a bird, uh, grab your oyster, and then you just turn like a key, and it pops right open. But uh, you can't just take the top shell off super fast because it's so long and thin. If you aren't careful, you're going to break the top shell down by where the abductor muscle is because the, the top shell is so long uh, it becomes weak right there. So you have to glide your knife very carefully down the top side until you get to that abductor muscle and cut through it before you can uh, try to, to remove the top shell. Um, so it is something I am more skilled at than I think a lot of people are getting into. Uh, but it wouldn't be my favorite oyster. Um, the Beausoleil is great, you know, for its consistency and size. Um, but I honestly have the most fun shucking like a well-pleat oyster or something out of tape uh, and trying to go uh, do a side shuck, like right at the abductor muscle. Um, I go, uh, I got the hand space in me. Bill, uh, looking away, cup down in my left hand, and I put the knife in just in front of the inductor muscle and uh, go right in between the shells and then bring the blade, uh, razor-sharp blade, straight back towards me, uh, cutting the top muscle and uh, bringing off the um, the top shell uh, at the same time, and then I just kind of switch sideways and cut the meat. That's that's the most fun, fun to shut for me. Um, I just enjoy it's a new skill I'm, I'm working on, and uh, so I think that's why it's my favorite way to shop. If those words don't paint a picture in your head, then you need to listen to more Oyster Ninja. You just gave a great uh, breakdown on how to shuck an oyster two ways. Um, what's your experience with the uh, oyster shucking competitions? Uh, yeah, so I always go in. Day one, um, luckily I've never missed a final. Typically at these competitions, you, you start off with 20 or 30, 40 uh, competitors trying to get into the final. Um, and I always go in uh, with the mindset that I'm going to hen shuck because that's what I'm most proficient at, um, and it's where I got my most speed. Uh, and then... I have done this a couple times uh, through getting up there on the stage and shucking the oysters that we're working with. Um, I might go into the final and change up my uh, approach completely and how I'm doing. Uh, and while fleets, I was um, this year I took the fourth there. Uh, Saturday, I, um, I did not shuck well. I came in ninth, but luckily they took the top ten to the final. And... Um, I was like, if I don't really change this up, I'm I'm going to, you know, not do well. Uh, so I was paying attention to what the other people were doing. I was having problems with the brittleness of the oysters, uh, which I hadn't experienced with well fleets before. And I noticed a couple of these guys that have won it a few times going in on the side uh, by the adductor muscle. And I was like, show me that. So I worked with that for about an hour. And then I went over to the stage, and I got up there on stage, and and I shucked as best I could using this new technique I learned that morning. And I dropped my time by like two minutes. And uh, up until the last two competitors get up on stage, I was looking like I was going to have a top uh, top three finish. 
Um, and I was very proud of myself uh, for being brave enough um, to having the courage, essentially, to change up my style and to try something new. Um, but they both beat me, and I fell from second to fourth place, and, and they ended up competing um, as the top three instructors for the grand prize. Um, and then I did the same thing at nationals. I uh, I was struggling this year to get into the hinge. I was using my New Haven uh, blade. It's got a little curve at the end. Um, kind of getting into that hinge and popping them. That was where my most time was. Uh, went back and watched a video of me shucking. And um, so I switched to a uh, a Boston stabber. Uh, it's like a heavier um, chest peak stabber that I could go through the hinge with um, to help me get in in there uh, initially. And, and so I changed up the style completely, and I went from finishing third place uh, going into the final to do Shucking, uh, being the first to finish shucking um, at the national championship. Unfortunately, having changed up my knife, the blade was getting a little bit too far in there than I was thinking it was because it was a longer blade than what I was typically shucking with. And I was cutting a couple tops of oysters, and I ended up falling from first to second place overall uh, from penalties. Uh, three seconds um, was the difference. Um, but you know what? It, it's proven to me that. I should never be afraid to, to try something new or to change something up um, as I'm seeing how the oysters are playing out that day. What you just described is, like, I think struggles for every shucker because, you know, you, you know what you know what you can do, you know, almost perfectly blindfolded, you know, and then for mm-hmm. you to have to change it up all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, it's just not going to be pretty. But it worked out for you, and I'm glad it did. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, really, really happy. And, you know, when you're up there in these competitions, you'll hear everyone talk about it. We all we all go in. We're all competitive. We come from different backgrounds, uh, like big shuckers did sports. I did a lot of sports growing up. Uh, we have a drive. And when and when we're going in, we all want to be number one. Uh, we all want to beat everyone else there and come off the stage and be the champion, be the best shucker that day. But once it's all over with, you know, and all that stress is gone or whatever you had to deal with going into the competition, you come off and give everyone a big hug, kiss. Um, your 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 brothers and sisters in in the shell. Um this uh which I think was a wonderful thing. Um Big Shucker said it's it's quite the family. Um we support each other as much as we want to be the one to go represent the United States in the international competition. Yeah, I think that's what I, I love the most about shucking is the the family that we pick up along the way, you know, it's like we don't, we don't see each other every day or even once a month sometimes, but, you know, once we come together at the competition, it's like a family reunion, you know? Yeah, and the competition for us is celebrating what we all love to do and our passion and, and seeing family. It's, it's a homecoming is what it is. Wonderful. So what's the difference between this year's competition and last year's competition for you? Uh, so, um, kind of going back and, um, to probably what some people picked up along the way here. Um, last year I competed as a male, uh, finished seventh there. It's actually when I met you and, uh, met, um, George Hastings Jr. Shooter. I could have sworn I beat both y'all and got the top six finish to the final. Um, but y'all skated by me by just a few seconds. (laughs) Um, yeah, that was uh that was a hard one to take. But uh, you know, I got some wonderful friends out of it. Um 
yeah, so I competed last year as as the the gentleman and um didn't really know this one of my first competitions how the community would would accept me. Um but ultimately I found a lot of friends there, a lot of like we've been saying family and acceptance and um when I reached out to uh to nationals this this year and I asked them if I would be allowed to check as a as a female, um they were more than accepting and uh, couldn't wait to have me back. Uh, so this year I checked in the women's division, um, which was wonderful to me to probably be the first transgender person to ever uh, compete um, on the national stage at the checking competition. And to have all the love and acceptance when I came off, uh, it really made me want to cry just being up there and experiencing all that. So it was a little different, um, but it was a wonderful experience for me to to be able to be my true and genuine self. So, do you consider yourself a trendsetter? Like you, you're 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 taking big steps, not just for yourself, but for you know other people. Uh, you know, at first, I think when I started coming three years ago, when I started transition. And um, I, I think I just wanted to fly under the radar, uh, working at the raw bar. No one cared what the person looked like back there as long as the oysters were beautiful at the end of the day. And as we know, oysters change your sex as well. So kind of just another oyster in a, in a sense. I was family to the oysters. Um, yeah, I just try to keep my head down, be low-key, hear about all the uh, people out there that aren't willing to accept or, or get to know you. and. And then slowly I, I just kind of grew out of my shell, and I found as I was more open, I wouldn't, you know, flaunt it in people's face. I wouldn't, throw, you know, throw it out there. I would just, you know, meet people on common ground and get to know them. And and ultimately, you know, I found acceptance and love, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to areas that maybe other transgender people aren't going into or people in the LGBT community. And I am kind of a trendsetter. I am the first. And so essentially I'm, I'm like an ambassador carrying a flag. And that's going to go uh, past me any time I go out and I'm in front of these new competitions and new crowds. I always remember that. Because um, the last thing I'd want to do is, is, is hurt someone down the road um, coming up behind me. I, I would like to, while I'm going forward, uh, just leave a good um, taste in people's mouths. And... Uh, just, I don't know, hopefully open a few people up. So, yes, uh, I guess I am a trendsetter these days. <laughs> That's great, man. It's an awesome story. Um, you shared another story with me um, about uh, Miss Deborah Pratt. Do you mind sharing mm-hmm. it with the listeners? Oh, yeah. Uh, Deborah Pratt, the Black Pearl, absolute uh, legend. If you don't know her, you need, you need to get her. She's a world champion. She's won the U.S. Women's several times. She's, uh, you know, the mainstay in our Urbana Oyster Fest, which is a famous state trucking championship. Um, met her at Nationals. Um, saw so many of my idols up there the first time. Um, but then again, I bumped into her in New Orleans uh, back in June at the New Orleans Trucking Championship. She was down, and I didn't know really anyone there, and she was there representing Virginia, and I was representing South Carolina as state champion, and and I walked up to her, and um, I, I kind of mimicked myself after her with all the pearls and everything. And uh, I went up there and talked to her, and I, I said, um, you know, I really hope uh, it's going to be okay with you that I'm planning on competing this year, you know, as my true identity and gender. And 
uh, and with the females, and she just gave me a big hug and a smile and said uh, she was more than uh, willing to accept me in with the ladies and that she had my back and, um, you know, I had nothing to worry about that she would be there. Um, just fell in love with her uh, very much after that and um, uh, hopefully maintained a close relationship, uh, even though I beat her this year in Urbana to win the Virginia State Shuckman <laughs> Championship. Um, but she is still definitely a legend and, and something I, I hope to uh, to aspire to be uh, someday. So, yeah, the Deborah's been a great great support for me, and um, my hat's definitely off to her. Uh, I'm glad I met her. No doubt. So, in the bigger picture, what's your goal for this oyster world, um. or your oyster world, rather? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't do this to, to get rich, um, for sure. This is definitely a passion, and unfortunately there aren't very many passions for people that really make a lot of money on, um, and I'm fine with that. Uh, but I want to definitely leave a legacy, uh, much more than just the trans legacy. I, I want to help change uh, the way people perceive shuckers as a whole, um, how people uh, perceive uh, oyster restoration um, and oysters in general. Uh, so I'm constantly working on uh, trying to promote that. So I'm looking at doing a book, uh, develop my own oyster knife. Uh, right now I'm working on a class to hopefully start uh, get that approved by um, Culinary Institute so I can start certifying people in the path to being a master shucker from level one, two, three, to a master shucker uh, with classes and being able to meet certain skill sets, have certain knowledge. Uh, that's something that's really passionate to me, to leave that legacy behind. So people can view us. Uh, we have a lot of skills, a lot of knowledge, um, like a someone here, like uh, these wine experts. Um, instead of kind of getting pushed off to the side, or you used to put your dishwasher as the lowest man on the totem pole and you know, on, on the raw bar, but now you're seeing a lot of skill, a lot of talent, a lot of knowledge out there, and I think this will help uh, propel us all much further. And so that's that's really what I'm working on and want to leave behind is kind of a certification for shuckers to meet different qual- qualifications to obtain a title. Great minds do think alike. I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, so do you have any competitions lined up for 2018? Oh my God, do I? Uh, I think I am set for about 12 competitions right now. Um, Sheesh. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I got invited to the World Oyster Shucking Cup in China. Uh, I believe that'll be eight days in eight cities shucking across the China. It'll be my first time to Asia. Um, who would have thought you shucking would take me across the world? Um, right. I got invited to Canada's second annual fastest women chucking competition that's held right next to their national championship. Um, George Doodle uh, of um, Green Gables Oysters up in uh, Prince Edward Island. Um, him and his wife have been uh, oyster farmers, shellfish farmers for years and years. And unfortunately, she passed from cancer. And he believed it was always her goal to see women come up in the industry Um uh, in fisheries and shellfish and shucking. Um, so in her memory, he started last year uh, Fastest Women in Shucking uh, Canada competition at the National. So I uh, put the money up for it, and uh, and there's a, a plaque, and it's got kind of a uh, 
character of pirate version of his wife on, on there. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's doing a lot, him and his family, to help promote women and shucking. Uh, so I'm very excited to be a part of that. That's going to be huge. I'm not missing that trip or the China trip. Um, then I'm, obviously I'll go back to Wild Fleet, New Orleans. Uh, back to Virginia, uh, here in South Carolina and the Nationals. I got to defend my titles there in those competitions. And, uh, then this year I'm also looking at, uh, going to Colorado and, and going to Connecticut for Met- Melford, I believe is the competition up there. So yeah, I got, I got quite a full plate of competitions, uh, that I'm looking forward to, to getting involved in. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I'm slacking now. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a lot of wonderful things yourself. So this, this, uh, this podcast, I've been listening to it. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. It's helping grow that knowledge and, and, and spread what we do uh, to to the people, which I think it's, it's wonderful. Nothing to, you know, worry about there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I think we can wrap it up. Is there anything, any last, notes you want to leave for our listeners the good people great story i love it no yeah um i guess for the the people out there i'd say you know um get get to know your oyster shuckers at your local raw bar you know be shocked at you know the diverse backgrounds and knowledge and, and how interesting these guys are and let them try to uh show you a path through oysters and and um you know, remember to always put the put the shells back and and uh, support the oyster recovery program. Um, I think that would go a long way to uh, to growing the general knowledge of what we do, and that's what I would like people to kind of um, remember. So. And where can my oyster ninjas in training find you? <laughs> uh, yes, um, I have a website coming out very shortly. It will be the HolyCityOysterMaven.com. Uh, you can also find me at Holy City Oyster Maven on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, I'm starting a page there as well. Uh, but that one really won't get going until the website's finished and they'll be paired up. Um, and then obviously, uh, just always look out for me in, in, in the ranks, uh, in the list of the competitions. So I'm always excited to meet new people and, and to talk, you know, about my passion. Well, I just want to say you're killing the game. Um, I love the move that you're making. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, uh, Gardner. Remember, uh, peace, love, and shuck on, all right? Peace, love, and shuck on. I couldn't have said it better myself. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode where I interviewed Miss Isabella. Um, like I said, thank you guys for sticking with me. Thank you for all your shares, your likes, your emails and questions. Thank you for all of that. Uh, if you have any emails, uh, email me at OysterNinjaPC at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at OysterNinjaPC. Um, yeah, Facebook, the Oyster Ninja Podcast. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Facebook. I got in a little heated debate, I guess you can say. Um, And this might lead to another episode down the road. But um, if there are any vegan listeners 
send me an email. Let me know what's your opinion about eating oysters. I mean, I guess you're listening, so you must be or might be eating oysters. Or maybe you're listening to find out, you know, are vegans oyster friendly? Or are oysters vegan friendly? Because, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, they they didn't joke around when I, you know, was talking about oysters. But I always thought that oysters were vegan friendly because of the, the no central nervous system. But, um. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've led some people down the wrong road because of my false information. But like I said, it may lead to another episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, yeah, keep sticking with me. It's only going to get better. Um, i got some plans I'm working on, some field trips. But, um, oh, uh, check out on Instagram, my DC story. Uh, she just did a nice video on me. Uh, I'm teaching you how to shuck oysters. So if you ever wanted to learn how to shuck oysters, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, I got it on SS Shucking page. It's on my DC story and it'll be on Oyster Podcast, Oyster Ninja Podcast by the time you get this. Um, be safe. Start the year off right. <laughs> Eat some oysters. Thank you.